Be warned prior to entry. Filming feelings may contain spoilers to any of the films listed in the description. Please check before you proceed. Thank you very much. My memory is a mighty fortress, Lisbon, from which no fact ever escapes once committed. Now, when you tell me boring things, I set them free immediately. It saves overcrowding. Hopefully, though, we remember a few things about our show for today. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to another episode of Filmic Feelings. Yes, I like that one. Thank you very much. Ironically, to quote that, I had to pull it up online because I couldn't remember the quote off the top of my head, but that's not the point, you know. Unlike Cooper, I don't remember everything that I hear. I had well, to I don't read remember it. everything I hear as well. I'm exactly like that. That's right. You didn't remember that we were starting this show at a particular time and now we're starting this show 10 minutes late from when we originally hey, said we were going to start true. recording. Hey, that's not true. I've been sitting in here. You've been setting up. So you say. You were So you say. You were late. Anyway. No, I wasn't. You said, "Okay, let's get ready to record." And I just got up instantly. Right. No, you didn't. I mean, I did, but sure. You didn't. Anyway, this is not part of the show, but this hello, is just everybody. more bickering. <laughs> So this week we're doing something a little different with our filmic feelings and we actually had this episode planned and then we realised that there is some significance to this show coming out this week. Cooper, do you want to tell the audience A, what we're talking about this week and B, the, the significance of it that we discovered? Okay, so we're going to be doing a filmic feelings about the show The Mentalist mm. and the significance is... This show will be coming out on the 21st of December. Of December? My goodness. Of December, yeah. We're, rec- <laughs> we're recording this in September. So, I mean, we're really getting ahead of the ball here. September. Yes, yeah, so it'll be coming out in the around the 21st of September. 2023, if you're not aware of the year. Yes. If you're like me. And... The Mentalist actually released on the 23rd of September 2008. Mm, which makes it about a month and a half younger than my co-host here. Yes. So it's the 15th anniversary of the premiere of the show and it's one of our favourite shows. I've been watching it for many years and Cooper, perchance I began watching it in one of my you know, re-watches of the show. Uh, and Cooper started watching about halfway through season one and then kept watching through it. We were watching a few episodes every week for many, many weeks. And then Cooper just started watching it without me um, a few weeks ago and has now finished the show. See, you know why? Why? It's because if I wait for you to watch every single episode... I wouldn't even have started season six by now. Right. Because you've been out doing stuff while I've just been sitting watching The Mentalist. Right. So what you've you're saying is... You've been out socialising while I've been watching The Mentalist. Right. Sorry, sorry, audience. I do have a life. Um, I don't. <laughs> anyway. Call me sad if you want. <laughs> I'm not going to call you sad. 
<laughs> not on live air. That's for you know when the when the recording's off. When it gets cut off. That's it. So let's talk briefly about the mentalist generally and about the story, and then we can talk more specifically about um, our experiences, what we like, maybe even some things that we don't. We'll see where our conversation goes. So. As we said, it's the 15th anniversary of the premiere of The Mentalist uh, this coming weekend. It began on the 23rd of September 2008. It was created by Bruno Heller, who is something of a prolific um, executive producer. Um, other things that he's done include the HBO TV series Rome, the Fox television series Gotham, and the associate... Well, it's not associated, but... Um, the prequel television series Pennyworth. So um, he's kind of gone from doing The Mentalist to doing a bit more in the kind of superhero realm in more recent years. But at this time he was doing The Mentalist, uh, which stars uh, Australia's own Simon Baker. And uh, as Patrick Jane, the title character, he's The Mentalist. And Robin Tooney as Teresa Lisbon, who is his... Uh, partner in crime, sometimes literally. So the show follows Patrick Jane, who's an independent consultant for the CBI, the California Bureau of Investigation, and he's not an officer of the law. He is a former psychic medium and a self-professed con man and fraudster. And he basically uses his keen perceptive abilities to solve crimes. He uses kind of very um, Sherlock Holmes-based skills of deduction. He sees things in the world around him and he um, is able to extrapolate a lot of information from that, which allowed him to be a very successful psychic medium, but it's also allowed him to become a very prolific um, crime fighter and crime solver. So uh, basically... When the series picks up, we find Jane already working with the CBI and he's been with them for five years um, trying to catch, in particular, he catches a number of killers, but in particular, he's trying to catch one killer um, whose assigned name, as it were, or the name that they've taken uh, is Red John. And Red John was responsible for the brutal murders of his wife, and his daughter, uh, Angela and Charlotte. Now, Cooper, talk to me about, you know, because you're on the younger side of things. You're kind of at the cusp of, you know, the, the generation that I'm really a part of that has a real fascination and interest with true crime, um, which I could do a separate whole video about why I think that is a thing. But we won't talk about that here. But you're kind of on the cusp of that and you're, I mean, this show literally started airing when you were a baby. Like. Baby, baby. You were barely, t you were not two months old when this show premiered. I was sitting there going, goo, goo, gaga. I don't even think you were doing that at this stage. Oh my goodness, I was very young. You were. Minutes old. Just no. sitting there sleeping while you're watching it. That's it. 
but I was, I mean, I wasn't even watching it at this stage. I think I started watching it when it was on TV in like 2013 or 2014 and that was super passively. Oh, was it on TV? Yeah, it was on the nine. It was on Channel 9 for a while. Was it? Like all seasons of it? or? Well, and you know where I actually started watching it? And we'll come back to this later. Oh, I know exactly where. Where? Where do you think I started watching it? Season six? Yeah, I started watching oh. it. I started watching it on the island. That's that's the worst season to start on. Mainly. Well, but it actually wasn't because... Oh, wait, you watched from the island. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah, so I was basically watching... A different show. A different show, which we'll get into our thoughts on the later seasons of this show. But, yeah, I actually started watching The Mentalist then. And then it was years later I watched, like, I kept finding bits and pieces of it. And our grandma was a massive crime drama buff. And so got me into Criminal Minds and little bits of other crime shows. And The Mentalist was one that she would occasionally, whenever it was on, she would watch. And so if I was ever around when she was watching it, I'd catch bits of it. And then it came to Amazon Prime. Um, I don't know how long it's been there, but a few years ago, I watched from beginning to end. Is it a Prime original? No. Nowadays? No. They've just got distribution rights for it. It's it's out of the catchment for being considered an original because it literally yeah. ran its whole run and now it's being picked up by streamers. See, I'm kind of like you where I caught bits of it. I watched parts of season one mm. and then towards the end of season one I kind of hooked in and started watching whole episodes. Yeah, like I would be watching it and you'd like, either get home because you'd been out or I'd be watching it and you'd come from your room and be like, oh, what's this show? And then it was like, oh, well, what's happening now? And then you'd sit down for long periods of time and long periods of time and then you'd go, oh, are you going to watch The Mentalist tonight? And then it just became us watching the show together. And then it just became me watching the show. That's it. Um, So talk... Talk to us about your experience of getting hooked on the show, Cooper. What really drew you in uh, down the rabbit hole of this show to watch it for seven seasons? I think what really hooked me in was Red John. Okay. Explain. Well, because I believe, like, the first scene I ever watched in The Mentalist was a recap of why he's here basically. Okay. Basically what happened cuz mm-hmm. have you touched on that yet? Yeah, I said that Red John killed his family. Yeah, so Red John killed his wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's the first scene I watched him walking in the front door going up the stairs and then walking into the bedroom for the first time. Yes. You know that scene? Yeah, yeah. That's the oh. first scene I've ever watched, I think. Was it the one where he's going back to the room where he, like, sleeps on that little match? No, like, the actual recap. Oh, okay. It's at least one of the first. Yeah, right. So, right, so the Red John thing 
captured your attention and so you were watching kind of for that, which I mean, you know, this show wasn't very highly, um, like it didn't have a massive audience in terms of like its audience wasn't huge, but it was consistent. It did super consistent numbers for the whole of its seven-year run. Could you almost say it had a bit of a cult following? A little bit, which is ironic given the Red John stuff. But that was something that kept people coming back was this, you know, you had your cases of the week. It's it's what keeps people coming back to all of these kind of serialized television is that, you know, you can watch... And particularly at this time in in television, you know, it's it's non-regimented viewing, which is you don't have to sit down and watch a whole season from beginning to end. You can drop in and drop out. And if you miss parts of the story, they're going to catch you up on what you've missed. But there are, ep- there are whole, you know, episodes in a row that you could skip of this show if you're just looking for the continuation of that Red John narrative. Because when you think about just Red John shows in general, just the Red John ones, not the regular ones, Mm. there's actually not that many. No, and they intersperse within the normal episodes, talk about Red John and about all of that kind of thing. But ultimately, it's it's a police procedural, you know. It's but its point of difference is its main character in Patrick Jane, because like. Or like a lot of the police procedurals coming out this time, they they need a point of difference because you can get pretty far with just a normal cop show. You know, a lot of shows do it. FBI do it. Chicago PD do it. CSI do it. You know, they really Brooklyn rely- Nine-Nine or is that a bit different? <laughs> that's a bit different. I mean, that's comedy for one. It's not really a crime drama because I define a crime drama as... The crime is the focus. In that show, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the characters and their relationships are the focus and we occasionally get them dealing with a crime, but it's never really usually a grisly murder or if so, they don't really go in, into the grisly murder a lot. You know, it's it's very sanitised, not in a bad way, but in a way that suits the genre and the story that it's trying to tell. Yeah, because another thing is CBI is not doing robberies and all that. It's a murder division, isn't it? Yeah. They they're the um the major crimes division. So they do kidnappings and they do some burglary, but it's it's violent crime is basically their their realm of expertise. So what what I really love about the show is, and it kind of transitions into our next part, uh, which I've labelled on our run sheet, our favourite characters, brackets, aka why Jane is our favourite character and why he works so well as a protagonist. Um, because I think I speak for Cooper and I when I say that Patrick Jane is our favourite character and that should surprise nobody. It um, should not. That's not to say we don't love the other characters. We do. But Jane is our favourite. Yes, because do you mind if I say the quote that you do all the time? Go for it. There's no business like Cho business. Yes, and while that may be be about the character Kimball Cho, it is said with a devilish grin by Patrick Jane. And that's 
part of the reason I love Patrick Jane is that he is so... He's kind of like the doctor from Doctor Who. And I'm going to go really far away from Cooper's wheelhouse and he's just going to have to roll with it. But the doctor from Doctor Who, the thing that he shares with Jane is that A, he's the smartest person in the room. B, that you get this delightful balancing act between comedy and tragedy and deep, deep anger. You know, and there's there's a childishness and a, a a spitefulness to to both characters. You know, when you watch Jane, you know he's there at the side of murders. You know, there's one episode where, like, he bets a nickel on whether. Oh yeah! Like they're they're out in the desert somewhere, and he bets a nickel on the fact that the person that they're meeting is like a high roller at a local casino or something. And like he does these little bets with with the other members of the team. And at one time he does a card trick for Rigsby. He does a card trick for Rigsby and then he plants the card, like Rigsby's card in the dead, per- like on the dead body, <laughs> in the that. dead body's pocket. And Rigsby's like, how the hell did you do that? That's my card. And the local coroner is like, how dare you be so disrespectful? A card trick? Yes. And Rigsby's standing there like, you know, a bit whipped and Jane's just kind of laughing in the corner. Yes, he's always the target. I remember I just watched the episode recently with Lisbon's brother, Tommy, Uh who's the bounty hunter. Yep. And Jane teaches... Uh, Lisbon's is it niece? Niece, and uh, pickpocketing, and he says Rigsby's a good target, by the way. Yeah. Well, and because that's the thing is that Jane's an interesting character because he is a con man, and he's kind of unrepentantly a con man. He doesn't hide from that. He's not ashamed of that. He mm. actually would prefer to be called a con man rather than be called a psychic medium, which is an interesting kind of dichotomy because he made all of his money and he gained all of his infamy through his work as a psychic medium. Yeah, because, well, didn't he used to call himself a psychic, but then after the murder, when his whole character changed, he just said he became a con man, basically. Well, he started calling it as he saw that it was, which was that he never was a psychic medium. He was never speaking to the dead. He was, um, you know, just just conning people and just using his incredible powers of perception yeah, to fuel his incredible powers of deception. It's almost like he got rich selling people hope. Yeah. And that's that's a really interesting thing about his character and his interactions with, you know, belief, quote unquote believers, people who believe in in the spiritual. And Van Pelt, who's on the team, is one of those people. And does she ever turn around? Not really. She's kind of always like I I think it's like she's very clear in that she doesn't believe in him, but that's because he kind of refuses to accept that 
from anybody, but she is a believer, you know, she believes in the spiritual and the divine in, you know, she's a very devout believer. But isn't that the same with Lisbon as well? Not in the same way, I don't think. Like, I wouldn't call Lisbon devout. Lisbon's a bit more of a pragmatist. Mm. So, Cooper, talk about why Jane's your favourite character for a, for a minute, just so that the audience I mean, know, I think you've can... touched on everything there. Yeah. Like, I really love his... He's got a great, like, sense of humour and, mm. you know, his smile gives me big Danny Rick vibes. Oh, Danny Rick, are you going to hang out at the bar with Patrick Jane? That would be... That that there's an episode in that. There we go. That he's he's uh, one of the suspects in the murder of Danny Rick. <laughs> oh, I didn't kill Danny Rick. I love Danny Rick. He was my brother. The Not mur- literally my brother, but like you know, a very close friend. <laughs> Danny Rick is Red John. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he isn't. No, he's not. He's not. Um. But, yeah, I think you've touched on a lot of it there. Another thing I love, and to bring back the Doctor Who parallel for a second, is, you know, when a a character like that with so much, usually who who makes a joke and who has a laugh, who then becomes angry and there's, there's real bite in what he says. When those moments come around, it always just drags me in. And I just go, look at that. Because it's not like it's a turn. It's okay. The the happy facade drops and you see this person who underneath it all is deeply, deeply angry and cannot express that at all times and so has this very happy exterior and this very sharp wit that, you know, looks like just intelligence but is actually a way of venting that rage you know and i like there's so many moments where he just says you know he'll just come out with a really cold line of just you know might not be your justice but it's my justice or he he often goes i just want to make sure we're on the same page when i find red john i'm going to kill him for what he did to my family yeah, and except he doesn't sound like that because I made it really like Boston. I'm like, he, uh, for what he did to my family, I'm gonna kill him. I'm gonna put a cinder block on his goddamn feet, and I'm gonna drop him in the East River. Now I'm New York. Anyway, <laughs> you have literally turned into a New Yorker. <laughs> anyway, but and Lisbon didn't want that to happen in the start, but. You know, when they go to catch her, John, she literally lets him go do it. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So speaking of catching Red John and Red John in general, (coughs) the Red John story is how we're kind of brought into this show and it literally runs for 90% of the show's, you know, uh, airtime. It literally begins in season one, episode one, and it's not until the middle of season six. About episode eight, Red John is killed. 
Yeah, so about episode eight of season six is when we get the turn and basically a new show starts. The The old mentalist kind of ends in the middle of season season six and not even the middle. I mean, it's episode eight. It's early. About a quarter way through. If that, you know, it's very early in season six where we get this shift to a new kind of energy. And... Cooper, what are your thoughts on the Red John storyline generally? Like how it's established and then where we end up at the end. What do you feel about the kind of uh, nature of it? Well, I mean, basically up until Red John is killed, all of season six is basically Red John. Because mm-hmm. that's because they're so close. Uh, I think you have more knowledge in this sort of scenario, but... You know, I think it was just all right how they ended with Red John. Mm. I think it probably could have been done better. You know, you know how it really could have done been done better. How is that we really don't get a lot of information. They kind of. Um, obscure a lot we get little hints about red john's backstory and his and and all of these things throughout the show but what i really feel we miss out on at the end and because you know the end we get eight episodes and there's really not a lot of time where you get red john taunting patrick and and I think that's what I really miss is that I'm like, you finally have Red John revealed. You have this, this specter, this character who we've never been able to put a face to. We've never been able to put a, a, a motive to. In t- not even in terms of like why he is the way he is, but just like how he goes about doing what he does. Like he, he for the entire show feels like this ethereal all seen, all knowing, able to strike at any moment from anywhere on anyone. And then we get the reveal of who he is, which, you know, we we have a spoiler alert at the front of the show, so we are going to talk spoilers. But, you know, he is um, this character called Thomas McAllister. Who's a sheriff. He's a sheriff in a small town who we meet in, I think, episode two. We meet this character. Season one? Yeah. It's not that early, is it? I'm pretty sure it is. I'm going to double check this. First appearance, red hair and silver tape. Second episode of season one. Really? That, okay. So we meet him, which is, and Cooper probably doesn't know that because Cooper hasn't gone back and watched the first few episodes that he missed yet. And that's why, we'll get to it in a minute. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how that reveal felt for you as someone who hadn't seen him from the very beginning. My thing is you have this character who we meet so early in the series and he really doesn't feature in all that many episodes. Oh, he doesn't at all. Like he's like, we literally see him in this second episode and then we don't see him again until season six. No, we see him again, don't we? I'm sure we see yeah, him but that's what I'm, at some point. No, 
No. He literally doesn't appear between season two and season six. Really? He reappears in the second episode, the third episode. And that's only because Jane's identified him as a suspect. And I mean, look at <clears throat> for for this character who is the ultimate evil, like and Cooper and I are looking at his biography on the wiki right now of like everything we see him do in the series. It's not that long at all. Like there's barely anything. Like it's really that's my thing is my issue with the series is that they really cut the corner on this reveal and on really milking the Red John thing. You know, like Red John should have been when you make him real, you need to really show how he does what he does. Like, you know, yes, we've seen how his society that he kind of is the figurehead of. Are you, know, you talking about the, the Blake, Blake Association. Association? So he has this group of, you know, affiliated uh, law enforcement agents, lawyers, all these kind of people. Basically what it is is it's law enforcement people who basically something happened to them which could end their career and the Blake Association kind of gives them a new... Almost like they're chance. basically a cover-up agency. They basically do all these cover-ups for law enforcement, for legal team, for all of these people, basically to add to their membership, so that those people who have, you know, made a mistake can help other people cover up their mistakes. That's kind of the the thrust of it, and. You know, my my issue is just that you have Red John as this ethereal presence, like, you know, he, he just somehow gets to people and kills them with, you know, you just kind of go, how does he do this? We never really get to find out. We never really get to see the true genius of him. And yes, you can look at that as them saying, well, we don't want to glorify this killer. Well, you've spent six six and a quarter seasons glorifying this killer to to some people. Killing him off within eight episodes of the sixth season, to me, does not, you know, big note Patrick. It actually makes me go, well, was he that much of a threat? Like, was it really just that he was hiding behind all of these things this whole time? Like, sure, he fakes his death in the... There's a big explosion in season six where... At Patrick's house. Multiple suspects um, in the Red John case die. And for a while, you think that McAllister's dead, but they yeah. find out very quickly that he's not dead. So in that building was... Brett Styles visualize group member leader leader yeah which visualize is a thinly veiled version of Scientology yes Ray Hafner who's just someone that no one really knows yeah law enforcement guy I think yeah uh Thomas McAllister you have Gal Bertram the leader of the CBI yeah like the big boss. 
Yes. And then what's the other guy's name? The FBI agent? Reed, Reed Smith. Smith. So both Gail Bertram, Reed Smith and McAllister have the Blake Association Tattoo. three dots on their shoulder. Yeah. And so there was a big – there were two explosions in Patrick's house where he was doing this whole Red John reveal. There was – was it like a knockout? Explosion than the actual one. I think so. And presumed dead were Ray Hafner, Brett Stiles, and Thomas McAllister. Mm. And everyone thought that it was Reed Smith who had the who was the Red John. But then uh, Jane said that it was actually Gail Bertram, and him and Bertram met, and we find out that. He isn't Red John because mm. then he gets shot by his own person mm. and then we see McAllister walk in. Yeah, it's t- that's the thing. We never we, – we always get to see the threat of Red John while he's obscured, while he's not Thomas McAllister. I would have loved just a few more episodes. Just take us to the middle of the season. You know, have have the end of the mid-season for the mentalists. Because to me, mid-season, I guess in, in a lot of shows, it is that kind of eight-episode mark. I don't know. I just feel like you get the reveal at the mid-season and then you get a few episodes after that if you're really wanting to go into the season six change that happens, which I'll I'll get into my theory about why that happens and why I think it's one of the biggest mistakes the show made. You know, you you kind of have this this reveal of this character and then he just dies. And you kind of go it's it's really underwhelming because it just feels like well that I guess there he goes. I get I guess that's it. Like Jane just kills him and it's all over and you kind of go okay, well that's great for Jane. But from an audience perspective, I want to know how this person does what they do. How does how does this guy leverage the Blake Association to do what he wants? And you know what I don't really like is the fact that in the end, Red John's begging for his life. Yeah. And, you know, he's running away and he's apparently very scared and then he ends up Begging for his life. Which, again, in a show where you have more episodes of him on the run and him doing things to deliberately taunt Jane and and either killing people or trying to kill people and he's getting frantic and desperate, like, that makes sense then, that ending where he's begging to live. And you realise for all of this guy's bravado and for all of his supposed strength he's actually incredibly weak well and we hear that because with the whole Lorelai Martin situation yeah she actually did say that he's weak yeah but show don't tell that's that's the biggest thing that I've learnt in my filmic education it's the biggest thing I try and do in my books in my screenplays, in anything that I write, in anything that I'm involved in, you need to show. 
that's my th- that's I think my biggest takeaway from the Red John arc in this show is that there's a lot of telling. There's a lot of telling, this is what Red John did. This is this, this is this, this is this. We actually don't get to see Red John do anything. We don't actually get them, get shown Red John. Like, yes, we get shown his murder victims. Yes, we see all this stuff. But we don't actually see his involvement in that. Like, I would really not like to see... But I think it's important for the narrative for you to see how he does what he does. You know, what's his modus operandi? What's his process like? How you show that, whether you show that in a flashback episode where you are dealing with, where you're showing him over the last few years and a few of the high profile instances of things that he's done. But you just don't get a very good sense of the man and how the man connects to the icon, you know? And so if we look at what then happened with the show, so season six, uh, let's just confirm when, when the Red John thing ends. Sorry, give me a moment. So, yeah, episode eight. Episode eight is the end of end of the Red John arc, which means we go to in these seasons we go to twenty three episodes. So that means for the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen episodes. For the next fourteen episodes, we go to basically an entirely new show. Oh, Simon Baker directed the first episode back. I did remember that. I did know that at one time and I forgot about it. Hasn't he directed some of them? He directed quite a few. But technically, like, it's almost like it's his show. Yeah, because also, you know, you go from every episode being some kind of red or desert or something related to red and then you go into all kinds of different colours for My the episode titles. My blue heaven. Violets, white as the driven snow, silver wings of time, forest green, black hearts, bluebird. Anyway, what what I find about the latter half of season six is that, I mean, it takes you like these three episodes really, like blue he- My Blue Heaven, Green Thumb, and into kind of white lines – to really set up this new show because they're not in California anymore. They're not working for the CBI. They're working for the FBI. Because the CBI has been shut down. Yeah. Which, you know, you're going from working at a state level to working at a federal level, which, sure, that doesn't come into the narrative a lot, but, like, it's a, it's a big shift. Yeah, I think you've missed the fact that this is – Two years after Red John's been killed. That is an important thing. So we we have a two-year time jump. 
Jane, you know, has had a warrant out for his arrest because of his killing Red John, and he's been on an island where? Do we know where the island was? Was it like... Uh, it was not... somewhere with no extradition yeah. laws. And the FBI came out and said, you know, if you come work for us to close cases... He's on an island off the coast of Venezuela. Venezuela. Perfect. Yeah. You know, if you come and you do cases for us, you know, you won't be arrested because we won't arrest you if mm. you come work for us. Yeah. So he did and then he wrote Lisbon into it. Yeah. And Cho was already working there. That's my thing is I'm like, because they not only, you know, are now working for the FBI, they're now in Austin, Texas. Which they've gone from the West Coast to like the middle of America, like the the mid south or whatever they call it. I can't recall. Mid south. Well, it's you know, it's, I don't think Texas is considered the deep south. Might be. I'm not too sure. American viewers, you'll know better than I will. But so it's kind of like. Well, for one, why is the FBI field office in Austin going after a fugitive from California? And why is Cho, who's lived in California for at least 11 years, well, and we know no, that he more. lived more cause because he was in Oakland originally. What do you mean Oakland? Well, that's where all of his criminal past is because Cho's a the, former gang member. Yeah, the gang and then the army and then CBI. And then CBI. So, like, he's been in California almost his entire life, but then suddenly he makes a move to Texas and then not long <laughs> after that is when Jane arrives in Texas. But well, we find out, like, we never find out that, Cho's told Abbott about Jane and so Abbott has gone after Jane purposefully. Like, but I think... The connection never makes sense. Well, I think the... Um, I think that when Jane was called or that, Cho was actually almost offered a job, mm. you know, that two years before. And, you know, he went and did his training and then six months before Jane arrived, he started working with the FBI. Mm. And one confusing thing is at the start of the first new episode, My Blue Heaven, is Abbott goes to visit Lisbon yeah. in her police job. Yeah, she's a sheriff in a small town somewhere. I think it's in D.C., yeah, it might be because well, and at least I go well. She's originally from, she's she, it just says a police she, chief in a small town. Not sure where she is, and she's from that side. She just she's a Chicago girl. But um, what was I going to say? Mm, I don't know. Yes, Abbott goes to visit her, and he says, "Have you had any contact with Jane?" No even though that's not true. There's been mm. postcards sent. What about Rigsby and Van Pelt? I'm having dinner with them tonight. What about Cho? Haven't heard from him yeah. in a long time. In six months. In six months, was it? Yeah. I just read that. That's why I know. 
But that's the other thing is you suddenly lose Rigsby and Van Pelt as main characters and you pick up. Now Abbott is the new boss and you've got, um, is it Wiley? Is that his name? Uh, he comes in, yeah, sort of. And then you get Kim as well. So you get these three new characters from the FBI, but you, but it's also then like, here, here's my thing. Here's, here's what I think the later season should have looked like. And there's a reason I think it doesn't look like this. And it's because they're making this show out of LA and California. And it would be very dangerous to do the show like this. But here's what I think should have been the later seasons is, okay, Red John's out of the way. I think you make one fundamental change in how the Red John... Like, even if you're going to play it the same way it is, you're going to do eight episodes and then you're going to do a complete shift in narrative. Here's how you do it. You don't kill Brett Stiles in the early part of season six. Or maybe you do and someone else steps up in the church. But you take Jane back to California. He's working for the FBI who have had to do massive internal changes because... Several of their members were working for Red John. So they've had to completely overthrow their operation. But you get Jane and Lisbon and Cho back in California working for the FBI. And who are the FBI trying to take down? Visualize. Yeah, I think we kind of lost visualize. Either with Brett Stiles still at the figurehead or with someone making a martyr out of Brett Styles, who's maybe not as good at covering up what they do, because there's, you know, a lot of allusions to some stuff during the show, which is why I'm kind of confused why yeah, like they, they don't just lean into it. Because even though Brett isn't Red John, they do mention in there that Brett has murdered, like, a lot of people during his time or at Visualize. being responsible for a lot of things. Like, he's a cult leader. That's what he is. Yeah. Let's let's not is. mince our words. And so I think that that show, you can still explore, you know, the fundamental tenets of, of that are, is this kind of mysterious nature of the Red John thing and this almost, you, you learn throughout the course of the show that Red John's got this cult-like following around him. And to me, Visualize feels like the natural successor to that because, like, Jane hates Visualize. Like, if anything's going to pull him back to the world of crime fighting, it's like, look. It's Visualize. Visualize. We need you to come back because you understood Brett Styles on a level and could get into his head on a level. Either he's still alive or the person who's come after him is similarly devious but we just can't get to the core of their beliefs and so we need you to come in as this con man who's really good at piercing through someone's facade that they put up because he puts up you know patrick puts up such a good facade we need someone who can pierce through that facade as opposed to them being like you've been gone for two years we're gonna give you your you know, your extradition to live in a completely different state from where your wife and child are buried so that you can basically never see them. 
and we're going to um and you know sure you can argue that you know his his he's done all of his atonement and his redemption and all of those things but like you're not telling me that this man who has suffered through 11 years of hell to get his well third you know and 13 by the time we get past the two year time jump is not going to want to visit his wife and daughter's graves like to me it just moving it to to um to texas you lose your supporting cast you can't pull you can't really pull in anybody who lives in that area like Sure, you get it away from Wayne and Van Pelt, but like ultimately they're off doing their own thing anyway. You know, you just put the the FBI field office somewhere that's not in San Francisco where they are, and it's just kind of like, well, they just don't want to make the commute down to LA or or even if you keep it in Sacramento, wherever you have it. Mm. To me, I think that the biggest thing that and like, don't get me wrong. I still love the show, even it's towards the end. It's still a good show. And honestly, I don't mind the ending. Like, a lot of people didn't like the ending, didn't like Jane and Lisbon getting together. At the end of the day, I just kind of look at that and go, yeah, sure, Are we why talking not? about the end of season six or end of season the show? Season seven. The See, finale. I thought that was a good ending. I thought that the ending was pretty good. Uh, ultimately, for me, my issue is not with how the finale happened because at the end of the day, you know, the the writing for me was on the wall for Jane and Lisbon for quite a while. I think that the way they did it was a little weird. I think well, the that, way they got together. Yeah. I think that was all a little weird, but I think that that's largely a product of what happened to the show was that they kind of yeah, see, restarted. I couldn't watch like when he runs on the plane. You know, oh yeah, the it's, it's a bit cringe. I can't watch that. I was just like sitting, watching it on the couch, and then I just turned around and covered my ears. Don't actually turn around in your chair, Cooper. Cooper really reenacted that turn, turning around. Um, went completely off mic. But yeah, my my like, I love the show. I love the characters. I love the performances that are done. Like, I think it's fantastic. I just feel like it's it's two shows, you know. It's it's five, f- five and a bit seasons of this really tense thriller. And then that just kind of ends... And and why I feel it happened, and and I may be completely off base about this, but this is my thought, is that, you know, when you have such a seismic shift in a show, you know, you're going to lose viewership because the viewers are tuned in for a particular thing, but you want the show to evolve and change. And often when you do that between seasons, your viewership drops a lot. Whereas when you do it mid-season and when you have, you know, a mid-season break, oh, see, that's even more annoying. So if you look at these, Cooper, so the Red John episode, the, the episode where Red John dies 
is at the end of November 2013. Then you have two episodes after that, which are the first two episodes of this new arc where they're in um, Texas. And then, and then you skip to January and, oh, that's so weird. So annoying. They're really just trying to maintain their viewership and like clutch on to people through this shift in the narrative. And I think it's because it's so seismic. And I think if you instead, and you know, doing a show where you're suddenly fighting Scientology when you're in LA and Scientology is a lot more oppressive, I guess, than it is here. Like I can very comfortably sit here and crap on Scientology because I'm very far away from Scientology. But, you know, like you've already done so much in this show around that. Like why not just lean into it? Because like even if you're doing it as much as you are in the Red Johns, like, like, you know, as we've said, the actual impact of Red John because it's spread out so much in the show, there's actually not a lot of episodes that are dedicated to Red John. It's just a lot of talking about it. So why can't you have a show where that's happening in the background and you have, you know, your your weekly things? Because that's what I feel you lose in the, in the latter half of season six and season seven is the show is kind of aimless. They're just kind of solving cases. Like there's no big... Like, there's no threat. They're just kind of solving cases and the big story then becomes just Jane and Lisbon getting together, which I think is why people don't like it is because it becomes the thing. Yeah. And I'd like to just mention one thing that really gets on my nerves. Let's move to season seven. Mm -hmm. The whole situation around Vega. Yes. I agree. So there's a character in... So... Oh, also, real quick. This season has more deaths of recurring characters than the previous five seasons put together. That's an interesting two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Nine people who are recurring cast members die in that season. So, yeah, sorry. Skip to season seven and Vega. I agree. So... Kim, who's played by Emily Swallow, is it? Yes. Yes, I believe so. Um, She's no longer there. And so you have Michelle Vega played by Josie Lorraine. Josie Lorraine. So this new character who's come in and, you know, she has interesting relationships. You know, Cho, she said that she had clearance to go out in the field with Cho. She didn't. So Cho and her had a bit of a trust issue for a while. Mm. And they had finally figured it out and were working well uh, solving crime. And then you have the relationship with Wiley, you know. Yeah, with um, Wiley, who's a new character who's introduced in, um, what is it? Uh, he's introduced in season six when they make the move. What does that actually say, that paragraph? So it says, She and Special Agent Jason Wiley were very close as partners in work since they were the youngest members of the main team. Besides their working relationship, Wiley had a crush on Vega that started the first moment he met, he saw her. 
We can see him practicing how to ask her out in green light, but he finally manages asking her out in nothing gold can stay, which she says yes. This date never happens because of Vega's tragic death. She literally died, like, Wiley asks her out, and then about 10 minutes later in the show, she's dead. Yeah. You know, like, she has, along with Kim, who's played by Emily Swallow, they have the lowest episode count among main characters. Michelle appears, um, so Vega appears in 10, and Kim appears in 11. And because the final season's only 13 episodes. Yes, because it was cut short. <laughs> yeah. But, like, why kill this character? What's the point? Well, as we've mentioned off recording, it's because it kind of pushes Lisbon and Jane to really want to get out. But do we ever see the fact, like, do we ever see that they leave the FBI? Not really. No. What was the point in killing Vega? You know what's an understandable reason for Lisbon to at least, in the context of the show, temporarily leave the FBI and we can kind of make it open-ended that maybe she's not going to go back? She's pregnant. Yeah. That's the end of the show. They Like, that's the reason, at least for the moment, that her and Jane are leaving the the FBI. She's like, look, we're going to get married. We're going on our honeymoon. I'm actually going to take some time off after that because I'm expecting a child. And you kind of leave it open that she kind of alludes that maybe after all of these years of working in in at least this public-facing law enforcement, maybe she's going to do something in the private sector. Maybe she's going to do something that gives her some freedom in her hours. Yeah, because, like, imagine the end of the show... Jane and Lisbon go off, they're married, they're going to go on their honeymoon, they're going to have their child. And imagine, let's imagine that, yes, Lisbon goes into the private sector. And why not say that Jane goes with her? Why not say that? Well, but you don't even need to say that. You just need to have them, for the moment, temporarily... Leaving. We're we're leaving the team. We're going to take some time for us. We're going to welcome our new child. We want to be dedicated to that for a while. And then you don't have to kill this, you know, like Michelle Vega is an interesting character. Yeah. Like the problem is is that they give her a little too much to do. Like they give her a little too much where I'm like, and yes, you should care about a character and, and their death should have emotional weight, but it should also just make sense like it doesn't make sense why she dies she's very capable and she just kind of dies and like she dies in episode 10 and then in episode 13 they're going on with all of this stuff about the wedding and like Cho and Abbott's 13 yeah and Cho and Abbott who were like destroyed and destroyed at episode 10 when she dies are suddenly just completely fine it's only yeah. Wiley that has like this enduring emotional trauma surrounding it. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very good explaining it. But like if Jane and Lisbon went off, you know, mm. Abbott and his wife Lena are going off to DC. Yeah. Cho starts 
um, working in Abbott's job as the boss. Yeah. And then you have Wiley and Vega who are still working with the FBI but are now a couple, basically. Yeah. Or, like, you have them go on a date and, like, they don't need to become a couple. But, like, like yes, just, I know what you're saying. You just show you, that. Yeah. You just have them, oh, I don't know, both still alive and well. Yes. And and when Cooper Cooper came out to me, like, walk, he walked out of the room where he was watching this show and he went, why did they kill Vega? Why? And I, I want answers. I'd completely forgotten that that was a thing that happened in the show. Just because she's so, she's so glossed over, and and it does it really frustrates me when I watch it because I go, really, why? Why did this character die? Why did this? Why did this happen the way it's happened? And I don't know. It's um, I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Who's the director again of this? Bruno Heller? He's not the director. He's the creator. Can we get director or creator or whoever came up with this questions answered? Can we, we do know. a Q&A? We want to know why this had to happen because simply it didn't have to happen. We want answers. We're mad about it. Look, she was the only series regular in the show who got killed. She was the only series regular that never appeared in a season finale, and she has the lowest episode count among main characters. She's literally batting like zero for zero in all counts. No other main character has ever gotten killed. No other main character has been in fewer episodes, and no other main character has not appeared in a season finale. Yeah, because even when you think about Kim Fisher, who was before Michelle... She mm. just transferred. Yeah. She wasn't killed. Well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, I think, and I think that that, the problem is, is I think that Emily Swallow, who plays Kim, and I said this to Cooper, I said, I think that Kim was originally meant to be in this season and probably would have been the one to die. But I think that Kim, um, Emily, was unavailable and so couldn't commit to being a main cast member through this second season. Let's see. Let's see if we can find any information. Emily. Also, we've just missed to address the fact that Pedro Pascal's in this. Yes, you're right. We haven't and that is not okay. Pedro Pascal is in this and he is amazing, as is can be expected because, oh, I don't know. He's Pedro Pedro Pascal. Pascal. Okay, we are just reading up on some information. We will be back with you shortly. Let's go to our... Kim is the only former main cast member who never appears in the final season. Oh, yeah, she never even comes back for the wedding. No, she doesn't. She never. She she doesn't come back in the seventh season at all. Um, I'm trying to find out why that might be the case. Let's just see if we can find it. Because in 2015, any. she was working on. Uh, she was working on Supernatural, but that's 2015. 
mentalist. No, I'm... Just give us a second, audience. Okay. Oh, we might have something. We might have something. Ah. Oh. The actress Emily Swallow left the show, so they were forced to cut her character out at short notice. I've also heard somewhere that Bruno Hello had originally brought her in to form a love triangle with Fisher. Jane and Lisbon, but he changed his mind very quickly after the reception and decided to drop the entire idea and cut her character out. Oh, this is just comments. I mean, uh, thank you to that guy. For uh, that. Thank you for that. For that. What was his name? Of, we're not going to shout him out. We don't know him. We also wouldn't help him at all. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, it basically it's that, um, yeah, she just w- did not come back. Whether that was a decision of the team, like the creative team, they decided to cut her or what, we're not 100% sure. But once again, we want answers. We want answers. Bruno, Emily, anyone. Guess what, Bruno? We will talk about you and we will talk with you. Cheeky little Encanto reference there. Oh, is All that right. an Encanto reference? We don't talk about Bruno. Come on, child. You laughed at the joke and everything. You can't then go like, oh, what were the moments? I don't know what, what you're talking about. I don't know what moment you're talking about. Anyway. I think that's all of our thoughts on the mentalist Cooper, is it not? Uh probably. Basically, um <laughs> like whenever you get creative people talking about anything, we love the show, but we could have done it better. Um, exactly. <laughs> Why don't we make our own mentalist? We will. We will. You're Patrick Jane. Oh yes. No, it's okay. We'll get Simon Baker back. I'll get him on the phone. I don't have his phone number. I wish I did. Decky does though. Oh, great. Deck, we're going to need you to um, get on that, buddy. Yes, Deck, because you've got everyone's famous phone numbers, so you should have Patrick James. He's got all of the phone numbers. He's got Simon and Patrick. Not in a phone. He's got a phone book. Exactly. Mm. He is old school. Old school. That he is. All right, lovely listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of Filmic Feelings. Uh, let us know your thoughts about The Mentalist. It's a bit of a throwback, this one, but Cooper just recently finished season seven, and so we thought we'd talk about it, and then we learnt that it's the 15th anniversary of it. It is a blast from the past. It's a blast from the past, everybody, and thank you for listening to us on your drive-time radio show. This is Filmic Feelings signing off. Good night. Bye. <laughs>